Today, I am speaking with Ben Sinclair. Ben is host of the podcast, Unraveling the Universe. Unraveling the Universe is a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to long-form video interviews with scientists, academics, researchers, and experiencers. The show explores phenomena related to three questions. What happens after we die? Are we alone in the universe or on Earth? What is the nature of reality? Ben's previous guests include Dr. Jim Tucker, Dr. Bruce Grayson, Leslie Kane, and Professor Avi Loeb. The main areas of discussion on his show include UFOs, UAP, which is Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, death-related phenomena, such as NDEs, reincarnation, and mediumship, along with psychic phenomena and consciousness. Ben has done a lot of research into these extraordinary phenomena and tries to balance his curiosity and open mind with his natural skepticism. As you can tell, Ben and I have a lot of common interests, and I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. Hi, can I ask all of you listening a favor? Would you mind rating and reviewing my book, WTF Just Happened? A Sciencey Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife on Amazon. Authors depend so much on ratings. They are crucial to the algorithm and Amazon making sure this book is seen. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a sciencey skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi everyone, today I am talking with Ben Sinclair, host of Unraveling the Universe podcast. So, hi Ben, welcome. Hey Liz, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for coming on. And I can tell all of you, if you are enjoying this podcast, you will definitely enjoy Unraveling the Universe. It has very similar topics. So Ben, you can tell us better than I can. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, so it's called, yeah, as you said, Unraveling the Universe. And we focus on topics related to three questions. Uh, loosely, they can be loosely related or directly related to three questions. 
So that's what happens after we die. So that's the main stuff we have in common right there, of course. That's everything regarding, you know, reincarnation, mediumship, after death communications, near death experiences, end of life experiences, shared death experiences, everything in this area. Are we alone in the universe? UFOs, UAP kind of space, but we haven't really gone into it's mostly UFOs, that question. And then the other one is what is the the nature of reality? So that's things more, you know, psychic phenomena, psi phenomena, and kind of a coverall bucket. So if there's anything that I wanted to look into that's similar to these things, but not uh, fitting cleanly in what happens after we die, it's kind of, yeah, it's all good. What's the meaning of reality? What's the nature of reality? Everything is covered. And so, yeah, I explore those topics and phenomena via interviews with scientists, academics, researchers, and experiencers. And I guess that's that's the main the main things you need to know. Really, it's available on YouTube as video. It's available Spotify and everywhere else as audio. Yeah, I, I think that's the the kind of highlights the the key the key information. And he has amazing guests like Dr. Jim Tucker, who, as any of you listeners know, I talk about a lot. And he was the first person who changed my mind about the possibility of afterlife evidence. Yeah. Jim's amazing. So I want to ask you, because I went back and checked some of the first episodes, which are really, really good, but they're a completely different topic. So what prompted you to start the podcast in the first place? And then why the change in direction? Yeah, that's a good question, because it was a pretty abrupt change, I guess, from the outside. So why did I start the podcast in the first place? Starting a podcast was something that had been, I guess, in the back of my mind for maybe as much as a decade, give or take. I don't know. It was something since I was a teenager, maybe a you know a young adult that was kind of always in and around my, you know, my thoughts. Like, oh, that would be cool. I think originally it was like, oh, it'd be cool to start with my friends, just, you know, just chatting shit or talking about sports or something like that. Like when my interests were totally different, you know, the podcast has been there before these interests arrived. Anyway, the COVID lockdown, everything, it felt like maybe the right moment to kind of actually give it a go finally and actually try and start something at that point my main interests were well I was interested in a lot of things so I really wanted to keep it general I wanted to do a general show and just talk to people that I felt had interesting stories to tell or you know maybe motivational inspirational just fascinating anything that really grabbed me so it was I was talking to some people that were disabled mountaineers or adventurers or you know some of them were blind I spoke to a deaf musician, Mandy Harvey, a couple of astronauts in there. I spoke to some people about UFOs. So I was already interested in, in that, that kind of field, that topic. And so that started to creep in from early on. I spoke to a guy, Robert Wagoner, about lucid dreaming, which at the time, it's kind of funny because when we were Have You Met, again, it was, it was different. It was general. It was about a bit of everything. I spoke to Robert and... I was thinking, okay, we're going to talk about lucid dreaming, which is, yeah, you can control your dreams and kind of, you can make decisions actively when you become aware that you're dreaming. And it ended up taking kind of some different side roads as well, that conversation, like Robert was telling me about, you know, accessing past life memories and dreams and things like healing in dreams and all this. I was like, whoa, come on, this is not why <laughs> I was not ready for this. I was not expecting this. Just wanted to talk about dreams. And now he's talking about all this crazy stuff of reincarnation and, you know, see the psychic stuff. And I can't really take this guy that, you know, I'm trying to still take him seriously. And I'm trying to have this conversation from the skeptical point of view. But wow, that stuff was really a bit, bit much for me at the time. So I don't know if anybody watches that episode, maybe they'll pick up on me being a bit like, did not, did not realize we were going to go down this road. 
And and yes, a few other guests in that area. So I spoke to Tom Hart Dyke, who is, I just wanted to mention this one in particular, because it was maybe one of my favorites. He was just this super charismatic, super nice uh, guy from the UK who is, like, he was a botanist and he, so he's really researching plants. He would go around the world, plant hunting, looking for rare types, like types of orchid. So he went to this place called the Darien Gap, which is a very dangerous bit of jungle in South America. And he was, yeah, looking for rare orchids. And he got kidnapped by these guerrilla, guerrilla warrior, whatever, soldiers and held captive for, I might get the time frame wrong, but I think it was give or take nine months. And he, he just shared this whole story with me, like the, the, yeah, how he was held captive and what that was like. And it was just wild conversation, wild to learn all of this. And he's just such a cool, nice guy that it's just, it's crazy, it's surreal. So yeah, th that was fun. And anyway, how did I, did you ask me, how did I then change to these other topics? Was that part of your question or am I jumping ahead? No, that's it. Why the switch? And I just found that, first of all, so interesting because that's kind of how a lot of us more logical people come to this. It's like you find something and you switch. So your podcast kind of followed that. Yeah. So as, yeah, as you can kind of tell, it wasn't the plan. It was never like, oh, we're going to do this for a year and then, and then we're going to totally change and, and do that. It was... I guess it was a variety of things. So as I mentioned, I was already kind of doing some UFO episodes here and there as part of the Have You Met. That was the plan. I wanted to kind of get some of those in there anyway, because I could talk to everyone and everyone. So I already wanted to get some of that in there. So that that was, I guess, stage one. And I, I had considered at the beginning, do I want to do a UFO podcast? My partner, Harmony, who helps me with all of this, he does this with me. I was like, yeah, nah, I'm not really sure about that. You know, let's keep it general. And and stuff, and so we did, and I and I agreed, I guess, to the to, for the most part. And I guess a few months later, after we, I think it was after we began, we found out that my my granddad was having some tests and stuff. To you know, we we were worried he had cancer, basically. And I think a few months even before that, before that news hit me about the going for tests, my partner had suggested let's watch this new show on Netflix, Surviving Death looks cool and i'm like yeah yeah maybe yeah I, I don't know about that stuff like mediumship and what's the rest of it ah oh, come on let's get real i don't know if that's a good use of my time anyway so so this stuff yeah we, we start to get news that yeah granddad has this thing and and he's going for tests and and anyway i think around that time it kind of harmony is again like what about what about the surviving death that i suggested a few weeks ago a few months ago and and i guess because of maybe death creeping into my mind a little bit and and being a bit you know, scared of, of everything. I was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. Felt right. Let's give it a go. Let's watch that. So we did. And it was awesome for the most part. I was like, wow, these, the, re the reincarnation episodes with Jim and, you know, the kids was incredible. And the near death experiences, I was like, wow, this is, I've heard of near death experiences, but I had no idea. Same with reincarnation. I've, I've heard that, you know, some people think it's real, but never really looked into it beyond that and the near-death experiences like wow i didn't realize this went so so far so deep and some of the episodes i was you know on the fence the mediumship ones i was definitely not even on the fence i was a bit like yeah this i'm definitely finding this questionable they didn't do as evidential a job with mediumship i mean they touched upon a few like having laura lynn and sandra o'hara mm. she was the one that, that i was like Ah, that one, Laura Lynn, I could, I could never quite close the book on Laura Lynn, even though I felt that the, the two episodes didn't convince me. And, and I still at this point was quite, you know, uncertain about the whole thing. Yeah, Laura, was, ah, there's something about her. I think she, she could be real, you know, she could be real. 
so anyway, yeah, I, w- I watched the series and and that was my kind of thoughts after very intrigued and but still kind of not totally there yet. But I had this knowing. I remember having the sense of knowing that I would one day read Surviving Death, the book. I just knew I had to. I knew it was something I would have to do. Didn't necessarily feel like that was the moment. And I think in that kind of in the, the gap there, I we basically my my granddad did have cancer and everything kind of got worse and we went to visit family for an extended period of time and you know dealing with all that kind of stuff and then he he passed we came back to leon and this is i guess six months or so after we watched the series and then yeah a couple of months after coming back i started to read the book and that's where everything really started to change again i went into it open-minded curious but still skeptical still i don't know if this is you know i don't know how this is going to go i was definitely interested to learn more though but what i distinctly remember is flying through the first few chapters i'm a notoriously slow reader but this book wow i I flew through this book by it sounds people have said the same about your book i think that they fly through your book because it's written you know in a way that they get through really quickly but but i yeah i flew through it and i remember getting to the mediumship chapters with Stuart alexander and stuff physical mediumship and this, I remember the thought process. I remember sitting there thinking, okay, this stuff I'm about to read is way past my boggle threshold. This is, I'm totally, totally like, this is something I've never considered in my life. And I was like, but this book, the way she, Leslie laid out Surviving Death, it's kind of like, you know, like like a ladder or like stairs. And so if I'd opened it on that that chapter, I probably would have closed it again. But the fact I'd kind of gone through yeah, near-death experiences, children with past life memories, end-of-life experiences, and and it's all de- delivered so credibly, I start to become, okay. And I remember, yeah, the thought process was, I wonder if this is going to be able to convince me about physical mediumship. I wonder if this is going to at least, you know, how I'm going to feel after this. I, and I was nervous, excited. Like, I can't wait to read this chapter to see if it can, you know, grab me, if it can convince me. And, and anyway, so obviously... That knowing is a different thing. Experiencing something for yourself is a different thing. But yeah, I was pretty compelled by the book. I was pretty convinced by by all the accounts in there, especially because I think Leslie, somebody with a lot of, I take Leslie seriously. I think she's very, you know, she, she's a serious person. I don't, I trust her. I guess is what I'm trying to say there. And then there was just one other quick book after that, which was the Conscious Universe by Dean Radin. And the reason I had to go straight to that was because. Leslie laid it out as the only other real option here, if it's not survival, is super psi, aka unlimited psychic functioning, let's say. And I was like, again, when I read that at the start of the book, I'm like, come on, what what, what am I reading here? It's either survival or unlimited psychic. Psychic's not even real. That was me when I started reading Surviving Death. So anyway, by the end, I was like, okay, I better read this book by Dean Radin, which seems to be like the, the Bible of psychic phenomena. And that's the only way I'm going to find out if this actually has some basis and yeah, I'm like same, same kind of similar experience again, where I'm like, no way, this is real. Why did nobody tell me this? How did I not know this? Yeah. So, so in essence, that was my journey. And getting to the end of Dean's, by the time I got there, I was like, yeah, we have to change. I'm way too passionate about this stuff. This is, this is it. This is the fact that it's so incredible and that's so under discussed, you know, it's so nobody talks about it nobody seems to know about it i was upset that i didn't know about this stuff so i was like wow yeah we have to to switch to that and so we did <laughs> probably a really long answer no there's no simple answer to this kind of thing and i agree with you i've met leslie kane quite a few times and she's i believe her I, there's no way she's dishonest so yeah the Stuart alexander is absolutely 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, read Leslie Kane's book. It's Boggle Threshold, but I've since listened to a lot of episodes on him. I've known other people who know Leslie well, who've attended his seances, and I trust them too, like my friend Mike Anthony, who's author mm-hmm. of Love Dad, How My Dad Died and Told Me He Didn't, and he's been there. So it, it's, yeah, to me, that is the thing I am trying to delve into next is physical mediumship. You should read Stuart's book, by the way, on that note. It's an extraordinary journey. I have it. Oh, you have it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's on my list to read. Yeah, it's an awesome book. It gives a real nice history of physical mediumship along with his story and people's accounts that have sat with him and everything like that. Anyway, sorry, carry on. So I was going to ask if you have any thoughts on how this isn't all over, like the New York Times, the every news outlet in the world that's credible isn't just jumping on this and scientists at the time i found that stephen hawking was still living and i was like if this was real stephen hawking and you know brian green of string theory this would be the main thing they are stopping everything to study yeah that's a good question it's a hard question and it's probably one that we could speculate about answers for for like 10 hours and they'd probably all be correct in a way there's probably so much to it But yeah, why do I think it's not more known? I guess one of the main reasons must be the fact that the kind of the scientific current worldview, the mainstream science, in essence, rejects it out of hand, right? And it's kind of like if you ask, yeah, any of your, so so who's some of the main science communicators now, Neil deGrasse Tyson or something like that, or Brian Cox. I'm pretty sure if you ask either of these guys, what do you think happens after we die? They're going to look at you like you're stupid, you know, and you look at the interviewer like they're stupid and go, well, of course, the brain, you know, stops working. And so our, our experience ceases and that that's it. And and I think that's just so ingrained in in society. And it's become, I guess, a stigma to it's become really stigmatized. And, and it's a taboo to be able to, to, to say to people, i I think there's something after death or I'm interested in the evidence for, for after death. I don't know. I think there's a lot of people out there that even will refuse to look at the evidence. There was one paper by, I think it's Etzel Cardena. I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name, but it was about the case for psychic phenomena. I think it was published in the American Psychologist. And it was a really solid paper talking about, yeah, some of the main experiments that have been done for psychic to prove this, the existence of psychic phenomena. And there's this, there was this paper that was a response to that article written by some skeptics. And like, I'm all, I'm all for, you know, like a skeptical response. Let's see what you've got. I'd love to hear, you know, skeptics address a lot of this phenomena, but their response was, and literally like I could find the, the article and send it to you. They said, we didn't look at the results for, you know, of these experiments because we don't have to, because we're using our argument is the old argument that, pigs can't fly so it doesn't you know it just doesn't matter like it doesn't matter what your your results show because it can't exist it cannot exist and that to me is the most infuriating thought process in the world like surely it should be okay so as far as i'm aware it can't exist but the results say it exists so we have some kind of conundrum here that which we need to figure out that's that's something but to say yeah we don't look because even if it says it's real it's it's not accurate that to me is wild. And I had, you know, an exchange with somebody on on Reddit the other day where I think there was a post saying, you know, can can somebody comment and make me feel better about death because it's I'm really scared. I'm terrified of death and stuff. And they put some specific questions. I can't remember what they are now. It was stuff like, it was assumptions, questions that were based on assumptions. So it was like, 
why do we go to you know why does our experience end and never re-begin or why is it going to be darkness forever and nothingness forever and instead of what will happen and will it be darkness for it was very much you know already decided so anyway i gave a real quick re reply from from the evidence that i've seen the research that i've seen actually it's not going to be like this and 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 your question should be is is it going to be this and anyway somebody that wasn't the original poster started replying to me and it, as if they're really angrily telling me no you're wrong. There's nothing after death. There's no evidence to say there is. Everything like, really matter of fact, as if they are the most aware person in the world. I had a quick look at their profile and some of their recent posts are unsurprisingly, I'm terrified of death. I'm terrified of oblivion. I'm terrified of nothingness. Can somebody make me feel better about the nothingness? So they didn't even want, you know, they didn't even have the, the headspace to, to go, oh, this person's mentioning research. Maybe I should just spend five minutes Googling that and just see if there is anything. They didn't even, they couldn't even go that far. And I don't, I really struggle to get myself in their headspace. I don't know. It's like, they're so afraid that they feel, maybe they feel if they do even look into it, then they're just doing that out of fear or out, you know, for comfort. It's hard to get my head around. Anyway, to answer your question about why, yeah, why it's, what was it? Why is it not talked about? Why is it not known about? Yeah, it's all of that. It's that it goes against mainstream science. It goes against our current understanding of reality. Probably a lot of the aspects of the evidence go against some of the world's major religions. So there's probably lots of layers to it. But yeah, in essence, I would say it's that. It's the taboo that we've developed. Same as, similar to UFOs, similar to that. I've noticed just everything you said. It makes people very angry, which surprises me instead of curious. I'm like, yeah. I mean, my reply to those comments are always like, this is the biggest question. Isn't it okay to at least investigate. And I'm fine to debate it, right? But debate me on the evidence, debate me on the research, on the results of the experiments. Don't debate me by just saying, no, you're wrong. There's no evidence. That's just silly. Even big time skeptics will admit that there's stuff there that could be considered evidence for survival. Whether they agree it is evidence for survival is another question, but you know, process what's there and then let's talk about it rather than just pretending there's nothing there when it's there for everybody to find and everybody to see. I have noticed everything you just said. Cool. I'm glad I'm not talking nonsense. <laughs> not at all. I always idealize scientists and skeptics, and in many ways, they offer a lot. But I was very relieved when I started to delve into the skeptical counterpoints mm. and then I even reached out to a few, some skeptics. And none that I encountered offered any substantial arguments to the evidence nothing that we haven't thought about right you've probably already had the thought of, are these people lying have they made this up is this you know bad experiment but no controlled in the experiments and all the kind of obvious things yeah we've already we've already considered that it's like in the ufo stuff where instead of talking about the extraordinary things that are witnessed and, and have happened they're like oh yeah most ufos are explainable like, yeah okay we know just okay that's fine yeah there's some fascinating UFO stuff, but I actually first want to ask you, it sounds like you didn't believe anything like an afterlife before delving into this. What were your thoughts? So I was born and raised in a Christian family, um, I think Protestant. So yeah, mom and dad, religious, nan, granddad, very religious, kind of everybody really in my family, religious to an extent. And I was raised, yeah, to go to church on Sundays and things like that. It wasn't kind of, you know, overbearing. I wouldn't say upbringing. It wasn't like I was 
you know, forced to say grace at every meal. And I had to, you know, do prayers at any time of day or anything like that. I was encouraged to say a little prayer before bed as a kid. And I was, we were encouraged to say grace before a Sunday roast or whatever, but it was kind of, I guess, fairly religious without being yeah, fanatically religious. So anyway, I grew up, unsurprisingly, I grew up Christian. So I'd be in school, people would say, oh, are you religious? But yeah, I'm Christian. Even though I got to be honest, I, I guess I didn't really feel like a Christian a lot of the time. It was, you know, it was partly the comfort of, I don't want to die and have nothing. I'm terrified of that. And all my family believe this. And that sounds pretty sweet. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to believe that over nothing, especially when the whole point, you know, if you start to question faith and stuff and religion, the easy answer that they would give me would be, well, you just got to have faith, Ben, at a certain point. You just got to believe, right? You got to take the leap of faith and, and be like, oh, yeah, I can get on board with that. Like, that's, that's, okay. that's interesting. And so I had that kind of side of me, whereas at the same time, if you'd said to me, what do you think about psi phenomena, psychic phenomena at that time, you know, any time in my childhood or teenage years or even young adult, I would have, I would have said, no, just, just no. I think nothing of psi phenomena. I think it's the stuff you see. I've said this on my podcast a few times, but what, what do I picture when, when I hear psi phenomena before I got into this stuff, I would picture an old lady at a fairground with a crystal ball going like, or reading my palms, you know, going, oh yeah, I see you've got a big line here. That means you, you know, you're going to die in a couple all that kind of, that's what I would picture. And I just think, you know, what a load of nonsense. UFOs, I guess I was pretty, yeah, pretty skeptical of. I didn't have much of an opinion. I didn't look into it until 2017-ish, a bit earlier than that. But that that was, that came before the afterlife and stuff like that. Sorry, what was your question, Liz? I've, I've managed to talk so much, I forgot your question. No, everything you're saying is really interesting. My question, you answered it. What had you thought of growing up about afterlife? Yeah. So yeah, it was, yeah, religious. And and I thought heaven, we're going to go to heaven. But I always had this doubt. I never really fully, you know, was truly into it. Anyway, somewhere around my early 20s, I guess, I started to kind of drift more and more away from it, even though I had been for a long time already. I guess when I was a teenager, my parents, when I got to that age, my parents were like, oh, if you don't want to come to church, you don't have to come to church. I'd be like, okay, I'm having a lie-in then, obviously. So that was kind of how it went. And then in my yeah, 20s, I started to, to really, really grapple with it. Because on the one hand, I really felt this is not, this is, I just don't really believe it in a sense. But at the same time, I couldn't take it off. I couldn't take this big coat of religion off because if I did, then I'm naked and I'm cold and I'm afraid because then I have nothing. I have no comfort, no, you know. I might die and, and have nothingness forever and I'm not ready for that and, and I'm not ready to deal with that. And But anyway, one day, I guess I just found the kind of, I, I would say the courage or just something changed, something, a switch flicked. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm ready to finally admit to myself and admit to my family that, well, to myself initially. So I could kind of say, okay, draw, draw a line in the sand. I guess I'm not religious anymore. And then eventually my family would ask me and the hardest one to tell was definitely man. She was like, what? You know? Yeah, that kind of the hardest bit then for me was after finally drawing that line in the sand and kind of not feeling like I'm not a Christian anymore. The hardest time was before finding this research where it was a few years of just how would I approach death? Don't think about it. Just don't think about it. Just put it out of my mind. Just focus on, you know, stuff that's happening in real life because death probably is going to be nothing. And I don't want to think about that. And it's horrible and it's terrifying. Psi phenomena didn't still didn't enter my world and UFOs became interesting in 2017. But yeah, death wise, I went from religious to nothing and the nothing scared me, but scared me in the sense 
I didn't go seeking comfort. I didn't go seeking another religion or research or anything like that because I didn't know it was there. I just took the, the kind of, yeah, block, block everything, la la way of thinking. I was very similar, at least in terms of not thinking about it and the blocking it out since I thought there was nothing and no chance of an afterlife. I mean, unlike you, I never thought otherwise. I never believed in a God or heaven or anything. And so now I want to ask you if you had a turning point. I don't know if you'll relate to this, but you mentioned finding Leslie Kane and Dr. Dean Radin. And for me and many people researching this, you know, you start to read the evidence, hear the evidence, and you're like, maybe? And then for me, there was suddenly this like one big thing. I mean, there were lots of little things, constant what the fucks, as I call them, that kept building up and getting stronger. But then I had this experience where one time I gave a medium reading and all these sensations that I had been dismissing that mediums said they experience, I experienced, I mean, at least somewhat. And then I stopped dismissing and I was able to see everything differently. It was like a turning point where I went to the next level and I was able to absorb and process the evidence on another level. So did you have a turning point where you went from maybe to, oh my God, there really is something going on? Good question. Interesting. That, by the way, I'm going to have to ask you more about that whenever I get you onto my podcast to, to, to talk, because that sounds fascinating that you had your own kind of experience of being a medium. That's wild. That's something I can normally do, but it, it, was, yeah. it changed everything, everything in terms of how I believe mediums experiences a lot more. And Well, I, I look forward to yeah, talking about that in the future because that's, yeah, that's crazy. But no, for me, unfortunately, and, and strangely, because I know with a lot of people there is, I guess I haven't really quite had that moment yet where it it just becomes that, you know, concrete knowing. Like for me, it was, yeah, it was the Leslie stuff, the Dean. Oh, it's not a concrete knowing. I still question. Okay. But it's like, I went to the next level mm. where I think it went from possible to highly probable. And now it's even higher probable, but I still have it in the probability, not mm -hmm. knowing. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I've reached a kind of stage that's definitely higher now than where I was back then, but I think it's mostly due to just the sheer number of stuff I've been reading, you know, like going through various books and various papers and, and talking of, cause of course, to all these experts, listening to podcasts, watching talks on YouTube, like all of this area. So it would just be kind of building on top. And in the early stages, I guess it would still, I'd still be very unsure, even though those two books did change, literally change my worldview. I'd still kind of be quite unsure, but obviously the more than I build on it, but no, unfortunately I haven't yet had that experience that that I'm like, wow, that was my one, my amazing experience that I'm going to tell everybody about. I've had a few kind of, maybe, you know, that might have been something. I think that was something and that was really interesting. And whether that was an experience or not, like that was cool. And, you know, but never that one where I'm like, wow, yeah, that was just without a doubt. I communicated with that person or I reached that certain level of consciousness or whatever. No. So it's just been the gradual building and building of the research, really, for the most part. And I guess hearing the very compelling experiences from people that I'm like, 
I just, I trust this person. Like either this person is insane and is like, either they're insane, they're barefaced lying to me or reality is different to what I perceived it to be for most of my life. And I just don't think that many people who are, seem so credible, the amount of people who would have to be insane and lying. And I mean, they would have to be, I would think at this point, lying, not insane, because I've seen them do it. I've seen this stuff happen. And so then they'd have to be, I mean, just the level of complexity to be able to succeed at that level of making it seem like something would happen. I, I just, I don't want to say it's impossible because I don't think anything's impossible. I mean, we could be living in a simulation for all I know. And, but I think it's the least likely explanation of all the possibilities. If it was all mediumship, if all of our evidence was mediumship, for example, I'd probably be a lot more skeptical, right? We'd be like, ah, if it's all physical mediumship and all, you know, I'd be like, wow, they might, they probably, they could have come up with some techniques and they could have found some really complicated way of, I don't know, like, like Darren Brown. I would like to talk to Darren Brown and find out how he does some of his stuff because he claims to be an illusionist. I wonder whether maybe he has some psychic abilities that he doesn't realize he has. I do think that sometimes, but I would love to, yeah, to find out more about that. But it's the fact that it's just this the wide body, right? It's, you've got the children with the past life memories. You've got the mediumship. They're all so different. Near-death experiences. Everything is so different that, yeah, it's so it becomes so compelling. And the results of the Psy experiments are really, for me, that's the concrete bit. For me, that's the bit. you Survival, we can all kind of debate it, speculate about it. We can all have a different you know, take. But for me, the psychic phenomena stuff, as crazy as it is, I feel with these words coming out of my mouth, it still feels surreal to say this, but it's essentially proven. I've said that to a few guests now and they've agreed with me that, yeah, you're right. Like for anything, if it was anything else in science that we were trying to prove, the evidence that we have got already up to this point is is more than enough to prove something, to have a change of worldview, a change of paradigm. And yet somehow it just doesn't, doesn't seem to do it in the eyes of many people, most people. Regarding Darren Brown, I went with another researcher, Mike Anthony, who I mentioned before, to Darren Brown's show. And our hearts were in our throats. We were like, if he does as good a job as our mediums, we're going to have to rethink our assessment. I'll say he is one of the best stage magicians I have ever seen. It was a brilliant show. I loved every minute of it, but he did not do what the mediums do. Yeah. It was clearly, clearly stage magic in comparison. So. Yeah. I do. He must do some stuff, right? Do you, do you agree that I think he does some stuff that taps into his consciousness in certain ways, either that or it's kind of set up for the TV because I've seen him do things, you know, where you walk on red hot embers and walk on, you know, shards of glass and everything like that. And I think sometimes cutting himself, doing various things to your own body. And there must be at least an element of mind-body relationship control going on there. I, I don't know. I think Darren's a, an interesting one. I don't know how much, as I said, I haven't been live, so I don't know how much is played up for the cameras, but he seems at least, like you say, one of the most talented illusionists uh, ever, really, if not more, if not, like I say, maybe some psychic abilities that he doesn't realize he's tapping into. Yeah. Everything I've seen, I would only conclude he's one of the world's best illusionists. I haven't, but I'm not ruling out what you said, but I haven't seen that. And Lloyd Arbach, who you know as well, everyone on this podcast heard about him. 
he as a mentalist said yeah. himself and every mentalist he knows once in a while will get psychic information so probably that has happened if it happens to all mentalists and darren brown probably attributes it to coincidence and puts it to the side you know i i but i haven't seen anything that would make me think yeah anything's more than one of the best illusionists out there but yeah i just want to ask you what do you think about afterlife super psi or afterlife or something physics hasn't explained yet I mean, it is that in a sense. It's it's kind of all three, I think. Super Psy, I think, yeah, the, the basis for Super Psy is that we don't know how strong Psy phenomena can be, right? That there is, in essence, no limit from our current understanding, our current point of view. And I, and I can't disagree with that because how can we put a limit on something that we haven't, you know, we, we've done such basic testing of it in the lab in, in that sense. We have no idea what the potential is. So yeah, Super Psy, I think Psy seems potentially unlimited. Let's let's find out. Let's do more tests. But I don't think that that rules out survival personally. I think I think a lot of the evidence for survival that that goes above Super Psy is very compelling. So things like, and it's not to say that they couldn't, you couldn't make a case for it with Super Psy because you probably, if you know, it, it Super Psy being what it is, unlimited psychic functioning, you could almost make a case for anything to fit into that, right? Because that's like the stuff from superhero films and comic books. But birthmarks on children, birthmarks and birth defects with children that have past life memories, when they have strong memories, strong statements, strong play behaviors, everything like that. And on top of that, have these compelling birthmarks so, you know, that they'll find out, oh, this this person seems to match the statements they're making. And, oh, look, they died because of a, a gunshot wound here. And, oh, my kid has a big, you know, a, a little birthmark here and a bigger one here where the exit wound would be. And and those kind of things, I find them very compelling. And I don't know how Super Psy really would explain that. There's lots of other areas too, I guess. Veridical OBEs are, are pretty compelling. But in terms of, again, for the Super Psy, I guess I'd go more back to the reincarnation stuff and I'd talk about how the children feel so attached, so emotionally attached to this previous person. It's not like this information is just coming through anomalously and they're like, oh, yeah, I've, you know, like Ben Sinclair, whatever, you, you know, it, they're so attached. They're like, oh, take me back to my mom. Where's my other mom? I want to go. Where's my dad? I want to, you know, I want to go to my other home. Where's my other home? Like, you're not my mom. You're not my dad. That, that's pretty wild. For, for just if they're getting this information randomly downloaded or if it's just like a glitch in the matrix, surely it shouldn't come through with such a level of connection and, and you know, I was that person. That was me. Look in the picture. It's me, you know, they point as me. And, and they have that real identification, I guess is the right word. I think that really strongly goes against Super Psy. I probably had some other things in mind that, that go against the Super Psy hypothesis. Off the top of my head, I'm not getting any more jumping into me right now jumping into my mouth <laughs> but i think it's in, i think it's a really interesting thing that's that's something i you know i like thinking about that the super sire versus survival because as i said earlier i think it's really the only way that survival isn't the thing right if 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 we don't survive then it must be because there is this super sire because you can't as far as i'm concerned there's no way you can explain the body of evidence that that goes in favor of survival by merely normal explanations, as as Jim, I think, calls them in his book. You can't get there with normal explanations. You just can't. It's, you're just grasping at straws. So it's super psi 
and or survival, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think we survive. I think that's the most likely hypothesis. I agree with you. And I also like that you said the combination, a bit of all three. I never thought of it that way. And I think you, I, I think that's going to be the answer I have now too. I think you're right. Cause I always sort of did it either or. Yeah. And I think, cause I think we will learn more about this stuff, right? The further we advance and the more this is accepted, of course, that's the biggest barrier to, to, to us learning more, but in, I reckon in 50 years, we'll have more of an idea. We might never have our, all the answers until it's our own time to transition, but but yeah, I think we'll get a lot more scientific basis for this as time passes. If I could guess, you know, it ties into quantum entanglement in some way, the mechanism that two particles that are light years apart can communicate instantly through some mechanism we don't understand. I have a feeling it's going to turn out to be the same. Yeah. Or at least within the same family of mechanism. Yeah, yeah. I think that... I think that seems, yeah, from my rudimentary understanding of all of this kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's probably when it's all said and done, we're going to come back to some kind of quantum related explanation. It might be different to our current understanding of quantum mechanics and all that kind of thing, but I think it's going to be something on that level. I know Stuart Hameroff, you know, who did the this theory with Penrose. Anyway, he kind of thinks that the microtubules have play a big part in this. And I think that sounds, you know, I, I've read into that. I don't have much to say about it right now. I'm not really at the same level of intellect as these guys, but but very interesting nonetheless. And I think that could be, you know, I haven't heard many people come up with a, something that sounds like it could hold water. And, and it was a pretty good theory that they put forward. And I think it also allow, at least according to Stuart Hameroff, allows for psychic stuff and things like that. So maybe it's going to be related to the quantum stuff, related to the micro. But ultimately, I think, yeah, like the receiver thing, right? It's like the our, our brain is like a receiver, like a computer, and and there's the Wi-Fi signal, which is kind of our consciousness, and that's kind of coming into our brain. So then, if we have a brain injury, if we get knocked out or get given anesthesia, it doesn't mean the Wi-Fi is turned off. I know you've probably had this described in loads of ways by you know the same kind of thing, but yeah. So the the signal is still coming. It's still the signal's not broken. It's just the receiver. And once we kind of get back to health that is able to be accessed again. Sometimes maybe people have memories of, of that time, say in a near-death experience, they come back, they have these memories. Maybe sometimes we don't bring the memories with us. Yeah. I agree. And a lot of what you said, as well as in certain ways, I just can't understand it yet, but... Oh, of course not. I mean, the be- the brightest minds in the world, yeah. we could get the, the 20 brightest minds in the world, like quantum physicists, quantum mechanics, and you know, philosophers and physicists and everything, and biologists and they're all going to be pretty much stumped. They might come up with some good theories, but the answers are still, I think, a, a while away from us, like the real answers, the explanatory framework rather than, yeah, what happens. If we can even ever understand it any more than we can understand a color we've never seen. In this life, in this life, yeah. Yeah, in this life, yes. I think it was in Ralph Blumenthal's book about John Mack. Do you know Dr. John Mack? No, tell me, I actually don't. No, he's a fascinating guy. He he was a former Harvard psychiatrist, and he, after a you know he was in, he had a normal career for a while, high high achieving as I say, Harvard psychiatrist, and then he developed an interest in alien abductions or the alien abduction phenomenon, shall I say? And he got a lot of ridicule for that. There was a whole lot of you know trouble with that. He had a lot of other side interests that he developed: holotropic breathing, various breath works. Do we survive death? What happens after we die? Um, all of this kind of thing. And uh, yeah, in Ralph's book, anyway, I was only mentioning him for this tiny thing that I think it's near the end of his book. John Mack 
passed away and and it's a biography of john mack and and they have this little quote and now john mack knows everything you know and and i like that it's like yeah not that not not that we necessarily will know everything after we transition but got a definitely got a better chance of kind of knowing everything on some kind of level than than we do here i think i think we'll know a lot of the questions we have here and there are probably going to be other layers of questions we don't know yeah there's probably i don't know maybe multiple dimensions of consciousness that somehow tie into string theory and we're in one of the dimensions we probably go to higher where we know more yeah who knows i always joke that after we die you know we'll be there and be like but suddenly after a million years our consciousness seems to vanish from this realm so that will be the next question investigating in our i i the word is afterlife but that makes it sound like there's here and then there permanently so i never love that word you know so i guess the next dimension after this non-physical there could be yeah the next layer of death where where are people going or consciousness going after this dimension i mean who knows no you're right I think I heard you say to somebody in one of your interviews about like, you asked them maybe if, if, you know, how long we will survive for after death is tied to something. And I haven't heard many people ask it, but I've, I've asked the same question to some of my guests, because that's something I really wonder about. I think I asked Stuart Alexander if any of his spirit team had given him any kind of inclination about this. And, you know, I wanted, is it tied to our, the sun? Is it tied to the galaxy? Is it tied to the universe? Is it tied to our planet? Is it planet specific? Does every planet with life have this kind of system, you know, and, and is that just nature? And maybe when the planet dies, that's it, kaput. Is it, again, is it the sun? Is it something bigger or is it none of the above? Is it because it's non-physical? Is it just totally independent of everything? Big questions, <laughs> huge questions. <laughs> like, I wonder that all the time. Does this consciousness last? Yeah. Through multiple big bangs, big crunches. Yeah, the planet, this universe, this solar yeah. system. Who I what did Stuart Alexander have any insight into that? He he definitely didn't want to be any conclusive, but he I think he basically said that the impression he'd got from his team um was that it's not tied to anything like that, that it's not tied to the sun. And and I think the once or twice I've asked it to people that are more sciencey it's been like yeah if it's totally non-physical then i don't see why it would need to be tied to something so hopefully hopefully it's yeah there's not like an expiry date because this would all be great if we survive death only to die properly like 20 years after our death um, right yeah. or even a trillion years i mean that's a hell of a lot better than the whatever amount maximum basically 100 that we get here if we're lucky but still i mean at the end of a trillion years you're gonna be pretty sad you know what's a trillion years in the afterlife right in the next life like with how time works and time being non-linear like it could be it could feel like a flash right like yeah it's fascinating stuff so fascinating i want to ask you and then i want to delve into ufos have you ever had any personal experiences like potentially gotten a sign from your grandfather who I want to say I'm sorry for your loss the loss is so hard and gotten signs from him have you had a medium reading any form of personal experience mm -hmm. yeah kind of I like I said earlier I had some kind of maybes you know where where I was like I feel like this definitely was the closest I've come and I wasn't but I wasn't enough to make me feel this is 100% First, about the loss, this was the first time I actually had to deal with somebody, you know, that close to me passing. I I'd previously lost my grandmother and grandfather on the other side, but we were never as close to them. This granddad was like, you know, kind of like a second dad. And the same with my nan, who's still alive now. 
But yeah, I had a couple of dreams that I felt were really interesting. They weren't, you know, within a couple of days or anything of his passing or anything like that. But it was, I mean, I have the dates in my phone, but I think they were maybe like a year after or something like that, a few months at least. I won't go into the whole thing in loads of detail, but kind of in, in a nutshell, I remember I somehow got to this apartment, which wasn't an apartment that anybody that I knew or that I'd ever been to. And yet my family were there. It was kind of up a set of stairs, you know, so you open the front door of this property and there's just stairs and it goes up. That's all. So you, it's like a maisonette. I think we call it in the UK. But anyway, so you go up and there's the apartment on one level. And anyway, my family were there. My granddad was ill in bed, like not in a good place. I knew he had cancer in the dream. I knew he was dying in the dream. And I knew I was there to kind of visit. And so I kind of sat by his bed for a bit and, you know, tried to talk. I think he was asleep the whole time, maybe. But I was just there, you know, chatting to some of my other family. And then I I got up to leave for some reason. So I, like, oh, I got to go now. And I was like, oh. I remember thinking, you know, I don't want to wake him because, you know, he needs his sleep and everything like that. I'm walking down the stairs and I get near the bottom of the stairs and and I hear the door or something behind me and I look back and my grand is standing at the top of the stairs and he's like, oh, you, you're going to go without giving me a hug or whatever. And so I was like, oh, no, you're awake. Like, of course I'm not. And so I run up the stairs and we have this hug. And I remember in the dream, like this kind of having this knowing of like that we both knew that it was going to be our last hug kind of thing. I, I remember feeling like I knew his thought that he was thinking the same as me and it was just, that was basically it, but it was just this kind of magic hug. And, and then, yeah, I woke up and made notes. And so I still have the notes in my phone so that, you know, if I, at least now I don't question like, did I remember that right? Or am I kind of being generous to myself? No, I have it written down. And I had another one with him, which was, I'll tell this much briefer. And it was maybe stranger in a way. It was like, I got to this place where he, he was there and my great auntie Betty was there who passed a few years before. And it was weird that, you know, he was there and they were there together. And like, it was like, I was really happy to see them. They were happy to see me. And, and I remember something along the lines of one of them saying, oh, granddad's going to pick you up tomorrow at 11 or something. And I remember waking up and thinking, did I just, am I going to die now tomorrow? <laughs> am I, you know, am I, are they coming to pick me up in that sense? Is that, anyway, that didn't happen, thankfully. So I don't really know what that was all about. But no, it was, it was interesting. I mean, like I said, I, I, I never allowed myself to be certain either way. I, I always stayed skeptical with it, uh, you know, because you, you dream about family and you have dreams that are emotional and stuff. I actually told Julie, Julie Byshaw, somebody we, we both interviewed, I told her about that the other day. It's the first time I told anybody really. And, and she was like, stop, just, just stop, you know, like bullshitting yourself. It, it happened. Like it, it sounds like it, it was a communication. Accept it, you know, like let it be, let it be part. And it's still hard for me to do that, but I'm trying. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, 
I'm really excited to let you know about the science and spirituality salons I'm now hosting. During these intimate events, a scientifically verified psychic medium will give all of you readings, and I will give a talk on the science and evidence that changed my mind about an afterlife. This will also be an amazing opportunity to get to meet some of you in person or virtually and to share more about all the science and data that transformed my worldview and got me through my worst days. These can be hosted in your home, in a nearby cafe with a private room, or they can even be virtual. I've hosted a few already and they were really special, fascinating, emotional, evidential. So if you're interested in getting a small group together over dinner, brunch, drinks, coffee, to learn more about the science and to get evidential medium readings, send me an email at hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put science and spirituality in the title. Yeah, another couple of quick things that I'll just mention was, I guess I had some kind of weird synchronicities like more recently. My partner as well was kind of, this was her, it was kind of both of us. So one of them that I'll tell you, the only one that I can remember clearly right now is we were, we, we recently rented a piece of land to give our dog somewhere to just run around and somewhere for us to just go and, you know, have a barbecue or picnic, just chill out with, you know, it's nothing big. It's just a nice little slice of countryside, very small. And, and anyway, we were there, we'd only just rented it and it was a bit of a mess. So I'm kind of going around and there's these massive thistles, like really aggressive looking thistles. And I'm kind of, I feel even bad to say this. I was a bit mean. I was kind of chopping them out, taking the roots out, you know, because they're big and, and aggressive looking and they can hurt my little dogs at my big. So anyway, I'm taking out these thistles and my partner, Harmony, she gets a text saying, I think from her brother, literally at this moment, I've, I've just started chopping these thistles. I've taken out like one or two and I'm still going around this field with a shovel and he, and it's a recipe for how to cook thistle that he sent her. And, and, and I, it was just like, what the hell is this? Like it, it, just at the exact moment that I'm chopping thistle, it was all just, it was too bizarre. So I felt like that was the universe trying to ask me either to make sure I cook the thistle or to stop cutting the thistle. I just stopped for the day. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm good for now. I don't want to upset anybody. And the only other thing I mentioned wasn't me. It was my nan who had, has told me about some experiences. Again, very religious, very Christian. So doesn't believe in communication from the de from from the deceased or anything like that, like direct communication, because that goes against the religion and, and X, Y, and Z. But she has recounted to me some things that happened with her that I'm like, I'm convinced were amazing after death communications. You know, I won't, again, I won't go into too much detail, but just really stuff that are like way too much to be coincidence, way too meaningful and perfect and things like that. I guess, no, I can't really think of the example and I should probably check with her before I you know, talk about it. But, but anyway, really compelling stuff that I'm like, wow that that my dreams i'm on the fence but that stuff man like that that that's granddad like it's yeah still waiting to sit with mediums and stuff though i haven't done that yet oh I'll, I'll be trying all, all, all of this stuff i hope at some point you know it's uh, definitely stuff i want to get into i've tried bending spoons never had any luck have you had any luck with that i have only once i've tried multiple times on once early on it, that was another i'd say one of the little change move to the next level of accepting something's going on so yeah yeah, yeah it was 
is really fascinating and weird and it was very early in my research. Yeah, I, I can't explain why I only was able to do it once. And then another time to back up that made it more evidential is at a spoon bending event with Forever Family in a room full of myself and mediums. And I was the only non-medium. We're all women about the same size. So no, you know, there weren't like any muscly people and they were able to bend the same spoons I couldn't. So that was pretty evidential for me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's something I really want to be able to do. I would love to, I'd really love to do that, obviously. And I have these really bulky spoons at home that, that I could bend, you know, with strength, but, but I would leave a mark. Uh, if I bent it with strength, I'd look at my hand and I'd see the imprint, you know, that kind of, that kind of spoon. So I, they're my, the one that I hope to one day bend and look at my hand and see nothing and, you know, be like, yes, but not yet. I'll tell you. I bent a few with strength one time. I wanted to see if I could do it. And it felt so different than when it happened naturally when, or supernaturally. I don't know. Yeah, it was a physiologically a completely different experience. So, yeah, I don't have as consistent, organized questions about these because I don't know as much yet. I am fascinated and just at the very start of researching this. But again, Leslie Kane is one of the big researchers and I trust her. So, first of all, you think there's life on other planets? Yeah, I mean... To say about Leslie as well, I can advise you books and stuff if you want to if you want to start diving down this rabbit hole. And Leslie's book would be one of them: UFOs, pilots, generals, and government officials, or government in one order. That's the go on the record. That's the only one I've read about it so far. Okay, well, well next will be Interplane Sight by Ross Coulthard is also really good. But like a kind of general, you know, somebody just getting into the topic. That's a really good one. Do I think there's life on other planets? Do you think there's life on other planets in either our solar system, other solar systems, material life in our dimension? Yeah, that one I can give a resounding, I would be totally gobsmacked if I found out. If if some if we were able, if we had the technology to just do a quick scan of the entire universe or galaxy, even just galaxy, if we did a, a scan of the entire galaxy, I would be beyond shocked if it came back that we were the only, even intelligent life, I'd be like, like that would do, kind of I'd have to reflect on everything again I'd have to go back and maybe I'd have to read the bible because I'd be like are we if we're this special what does that mean like that's that shouldn't be you know because yes everything about it the odds and just it just tells me that it should be abundant right like even if it's rare in terms of 0.1 percent of planets having life it should then be abundant and everywhere and it should essentially be a star wars galaxy so I don't know the extent of it, but yeah, I'm I'm as close to being 100% without being 100% because I haven't seen it. But I'm, I'm as close to being 100% as I can be that, yes, there is life on other planets. In terms of our solar system, actually, when I was Have You Met podcast before we, we kind of transitioned, before we evolved, I had a conversation with a guy called Pascal Lee, who's like, he works for NASA, NASA Ames. He's, I think he's like the mars i can't remember the the wording of the the organization now the mars something but he's very involved with mars and nasa and and stuff like that and i spoke to him about all of this kind of thing and so it's not just me that thinks there's other life in this solar system even pascal who's a major skeptic and says he thinks there's a good chance we're the only intelligent life in our galaxy and and you know he he's quite skeptical he even he thinks that there's a very solid chance that there's microbial life on mars 
I, I, I said in my conversation with him, I reckon there's, I'm going to go out there and say, I think there's fish on Europa's moon, on Europa and, and that kind of thing. And, and he had no disagreements really. He's like, yeah, they're down by the vents, you know, deep in these ice oceans, there could easily be, you know, small fish or whatever. And, and, and if you have a small fish, maybe a bigger fish can eat the big, you know, I think, I think there's definitely some kind of life. I'm quite confident there's some kind of life in our solar system. Again, it's going to be probably like insect fish or smaller, and then outside, yeah, I, I would say we're probably not the smartest kids on the block, as it were. And I also think possibly planets in our solar system, as well as many others, maybe way before we were here. Yeah. Maybe way before we were here, there could have easily been other planets that then became inhabitable. And without getting too depressing, I also look at the way we're destroying our planet, I doubt we're the only species that have done that. So probably there's other planets out there that climate change destroyed them, or maybe naturally their sun went out. Yeah, there's so many different various filters and stuff that would, yeah, that would keep them to a short lifespan, especially yeah, if they make the same mistakes we did. Of course that is, yeah. Now onto the slightly more out there. There has been so much talk of UFOs that have come here. What are your thoughts on the recent UFO disclosures and the congressional hearings? I mean, I think there's been massive steps forward in the last last year, you know, especially the last six months. But the congressional hearing, the most recent one is, of course, thanks in part, in large part to David Grush, who I'm sure you're familiar with who's a former member of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, very high up, former ranking member of the, you know, the American government and intelligence, yeah, departments or whatever. He's, he's a, he used to brief the president. I'm sure you've heard this, and I'm sure lots of people have heard all of this kind of thing. Very high security clearance, really legit guy. I've spoken to enough people now that both publicly reaffirm or publicly affirm their trust in David Grush. I've also spoken to numerous people, you know, privately that, affirmed that yeah i've met this guy he, he is who he says he is he's legit i know other people that have backed up his story x y and z at the end of the day i, I believe david grush i think he is who he says he is i think what he's saying is true if it's not if he's not telling the truth he could face jail and fines and stuff for saying what he said under oath at the congressional hearings so yeah if before david grush if you'd say if we'd talked about this i would have felt so out there talking about recovered craft you know, of a, of a non-human origin, I would have felt like, well, that's too much to, to tell Liz and Liz's listeners about. But the fact that David Grush went and said that stuff under oath. Can you explain what he said? Because I haven't touched upon this on this podcast. And all of you, you can also listen on Ben's podcast because he has some episodes that really delve into this. Yeah, if people do want to hear about this particular thing that I'm talking about right now, I actually did an episode with Leslie Kane about David Grush because she was the one that, you know, one of the people that first brought that out and, and, you know, released the article on the day that he kind of went public, as it were. So that's kind of a really good introduction, I guess, to David Grush and, and this kind of stuff rather than the very latest about it. But anyway, yeah, so the stuff he said, in essence, I guess the highlights, the headlines are... And this is information that he's not got firsthand. So he didn't work, say, on one of the programs. He wasn't like, you know, tightening bolts and stuff on a UFO. He was in a position where he was tasked with finding out what the American government knew about this kind of stuff. And he ended up getting in touch with 30 to 40 plus 
government employees and people that have been involved in these programs, both firsthand and, and stuff like that. And they all essentially told him the same story, which the things that he has said now under oath is that, yes, the US government are in possession of craft of non-human origin is the wording that is most commonly used. Although in terms of hypothesis, if we're going to get there, it doesn't necessarily rule out, let's say, a future human hypothesis, which is another crazy mind-boggling thing to think about. But yeah, essentially the non-human craft that we've recovered he was asked about non-human biologics and obviously he kind of goes there with trying to trying to make it like as least i don't know as palatable as possible by saying yeah but you know when we recover a craft if we find a craft normally often there would be a pilot for that craft and so he's like yeah that happens and they're like so these these pilots were they human and he's like no no not human so essentially, yeah, he's saying we've recovered craft of non-human origin, some of them in good condition, some of them in working condition, some of them not so much. We have biologics, allegedly non-human biologics. So again, if we want to make that sound as as you know basic as it can be, we have alien bodies is basically what he's alluding to. That have crashed. And not necessarily crashed, actually. Like some of them, it would seem yes, but some of them, he and other people have kind of alluded to that they're in perfect condition. So like gift... I don't know. Could it have been a gift? Could it have been something else? But not necessarily crashed. But not living, right? Deceased bodies that are non-earthling. Oh no, I'm I'm talking about the the craft right now. But in terms of the bodies, he doesn't. He can't really go into it. And if you do, you know, the rabbit hole stuff. If you do all the reading, you'll find bits of both. You'll find stuff that says, yeah, that they they did retrieve some that were alive and. I, I I don't know where I stand on all that, you know. I try not to make too much of a judgment. But once you go, like like we were saying about physical mediumship, right? Like that's crazy at the beginning. But once you establish all the other things, it's like, okay, I can kind of get behind that now. It's just the same kind of thing. Like once you've gone far enough into all of the stuff and you see all the stuff that's been verified, it does kind of make sense that somewhere along the line, there's going to be a body. Even though, again, it sounds surreal to say it out loud and it sounds crazy to to say it out loud. But yeah, those were his main claims. He's also claimed that people have died by trying to keep these secrets and, and protect these secrets. People, people have been killed trying to keep these secrets is essentially what he said, not have died. People have been killed, you know, murdered by essentially either the government or by certain, you know, sections of the government, probably faceless, nameless, probably people and, and departments we've never heard of, probably people and departments that most people in government have never heard of. That's the thing with all this. It's so compartmentalized. And so, you know, hush, hush, that somebody could be working directly with a colleague or somebody you have lunch with every day and they might have no idea about this stuff or it's wild stuff, I'm telling you. And the, the grush stuff is just taking it to a whole new level. He's now about to be, so this, you said this is going to be released in a few weeks. So as of when this is released, I think about six weeks ago, he has gone into a skiff, which is a security, I don't know actually what it stands for, but it's in essence, it's a cleared meeting with a few people where they're, they're allowed to share classified information in a very secure setting. So you're not allowed to take phones in, the recording devices, everything like this, no technology, basically. You're just in this room on lockdown and you're allowed to have access to certain things and then they let you go again, but you then have to keep quiet about this stuff. So th that's happening essentially now or essentially six weeks ago with David Grush. So I don't know where it's going to go. You know, it's, it's wild. It's wild stuff. Now, do you think these beings that could be coming to our planet 
Do you think they're significantly superior to us? I mean, we've already gone to other planets. Well, robots. We've sent robots, not humans. And we've gone to the moon. So in a couple hundred years, we might be able to build technology that goes to planets far enough away to find other life. And there are thoughts that there are these other dimensional, very superior beings watching over us and helping us. And then there are thoughts that they're not so much more advanced than us in terms of this high level looking out for human good. They just live on other planets and they've advanced their technology to the point where they can do interstellar travel. What would you guess it is? And and what have some of the people you've spoken to think of those two explanations? I mean, I guess my speculations, right? Because that's kind of we're in speculation territory a little bit now. So I guess I would say, first of all, one kind of parallel maybe I would draw is in terms of us humans, we would think we're way, way cleverer than, you know, like cavemen or we probably are. But if you go back a thousand years, we'd be like, oh yeah, we're way cleverer than people a thousand years ago. But I don't know if you put me one-on-one in a room with somebody a thousand years ago, I don't know how much more intellectual or, or intelligent I am than them necessarily. Of course, as a civilization, we're in a different level now. We're in another hemisphere totally. We wipe the floor with them. But in terms of individual intelligence, I don't know. So in terms of that comparison, individually, I don't know. As a civilization, whatever they are, whether they're interplanetary or interdimensional, or I really don't know. I can have gut feelings that kind of change here and there, but whatever they are, I would say, yeah, as a civilization, they're pretty far ahead of us, quite quite significantly way ahead of us, I would say. But again, I'm, it's, it's speculating, like there's only so much I can, you know, yeah. There's so many unknowns in this thing. It's just... There is definitely a phenomenon here. There's definitely something going on that we don't really understand. Whether the US government understand it, they claim they don't. They seem to, I, there's two outcomes there. Either they do or they don't. And if they, either way, they're lying and covering stuff up. It's just, do they know more than they're letting on? I think probably, but do they know everything? I think probably not. Yeah, there's so many unknowns. I just, I, I think it's fascinating. I, I don't. I could talk for ages about it. I don't. If there, tell me other specific things you'd like to know, or if there's anything else, because I'm just going to ramble otherwise. Do you have any thoughts on people who claim abductions? Yeah, good question. This is something that I still struggle with. Like it's, it was originally I really struggled with it. Like when I first kind of yeah came across that, I was like ah, that's one of the main focuses of. John, not John Mack's book, Ralph Blumenthal's book that I mentioned earlier, the biography of Dr. John Mack, obviously that goes into that in detail. He took it seriously. He was a psychiatrist, as I said, a Harvard psychiatrist. And he he went on record and say said, I've done, you know, psychological evaluations of these people who claim abduction experiences. They're psychologically normal. They're healthy. They they're a, a cross section of society. You know, you have normal people working normal jobs that are psychologically healthy and yet they report these experiences so he being an open-minded true scientist was like wow what the hell is going on here like he called them experiences rather than abductees because you know he wanted to keep it open and and didn't want to kind of put a strict label on it but what do i think of it yeah i mean i think it's something certainly that needs to be taken seriously initially i think that's what i would say i wouldn't want to ridicule anybody that, that claims to have had an experience like this then beyond it needs to be taken seriously. Is it something that's physically happening? 
or is it something that's you know related to consciousness is it something else if it's if it's like a mental health thing and i'm not saying i think it is but if it was that would still be an enormous thing it would mean we have this essentially a pandemic of people believing they've been abducted by aliens and that that would seem like a major and bizarre national international health concern i don't think it is that but i'm just saying whatever the outcome is whatever is the explanatory framework behind it it's some like something's happening and and it needs to be figured out i guess the more i've heard with grush the more people i've spoken to the more i've looked into it i think probably or possibly some people are being abducted it feels again like hard to say this stuff for me because because uh, i I've, I've been quite skeptical about it my, a lot of my life about this kind of thing but but yeah i mean i don't think all of these people making these claims are, are crazy there's one particularly interesting case for me more than one but there's one called the pascagoula incident and it's these two guys in america they they were out fishing for the day i think they're quite country you know real simple guys and Hopefully they're not, they're not listening and getting offended by me saying that, but nice, nice guys. They seem like, yeah, good guys. Well done guys. Anyway, they're, they're fishing and essentially they get abducted. Seemingly they go to the police station afterwards and report their experience. And so they take, we just got taken, blah, 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 this, and the police leave them. They, they, they question them. They, they leave them in this room, this interrogation room or whatever, while they go and talk about it somewhere else. And they go and actually listen because they left the recording device in there. This was before recording stuff was like every day. So these people didn't know, have, they had no clue they were being recorded. So you expect if they're hoaxing, you know, if they're making it up, you're going to hear like, oh, I think they're buying it, mate. Yeah, I think they're buying it. Yeah, it's going well. Yeah, just keep keep up with that tech. If you can let a few more tears flow, that'll be good. You know, it, they were they on the recording when the police officers were out of the room, one of them is saying to them, like, like, dude, are you okay? Like, man, I'm gonna, we're gonna get you home soon. I'm gonna get you the medication. Like, it's gonna help you. Like, calm down. Like, like, I can't believe this is all happening. What an insane experience. It, I'm getting chills through my body just thinking about it because of the way they're so convincing to each other. It's like two guys that have just been through an incredibly traumatic experience, and that's what comes through. So, I don't know. Really, really interesting phenomenon. Really kind of creepy side aspect of this whole thing. But at the same time very not creepy in a sense in the sense that like it actually it's kind of thing we would do right if we found a, a planet and it was primitive life there let's say less primitive than us let's say it's kind of like earth but without the humans you can bet your ass we'd be picking up every different species on that planet and sticking stuff in them and and checking their temperature and you know pointing lasers at their stuff you know doing various things to them that they would have no idea what we're doing we already do that here when we discover new species exactly yeah 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 and the horrible experimentations we do on animals exactly and and on and on other humans so it's yeah it, it, as much as it's a bit creepy to think that they're taking people without their permission and stuff that's not necessarily how not everything is so black and white it's not like we go up to animals and ask them to sign a permission slip. Why should they, if there is some non-human presence here, why should they feel like they have to come and do that to us? Oh, because we're more conscious, we're cleverer than animals. Are we? Do we know that? Are we, are we you know? We don't know that. And animals have such depth of emotion. Exactly. And they feel pain and everything like that. And yeah, we... So again, abductions, it seems like if you break it down to the simplest thing, it would seem that that's what's happening for me. Like 
keep it like trying to find out what's going because again i've spoken to people i spoke to this guy isaac arthur who's a well-known youtuber science and futurism very skeptical guy open-minded to an extent has does some really interesting stuff but pretty pretty skeptical about ufos and that kind of thing and i asked him a question about like how would he approach a planet like ours if if he you know came across it if he was in charge of dealing with it and he said things like yeah you know we'd watch them for a long time we'd try and you know send craft down there try and blend in try and make drones that look like their animals x y and z try and learn their language we'd probably you know like and again, you, you probably would abduct some that are going to not draw attention because you want to learn about their DNA and X, Y, and Z, and you want to learn how they work and everything like that. And then they return the abducted people. I mean, at least as far as we know, we can only hear the stories from those that come back to talk about it. Yeah, that's a scary kind of potential can of worms on the side of that. It's like, yeah, is there a massive number of people that never come back? Like, is again, I don't, I don't know. That's terrifying. But it's a, yeah, it's, it's a scary thought. Unless maybe they're, maybe they're living the high life on another planet. So you know, I try to not make assumptions. I mean, maybe they haven't been so happy here. And they go and they're like, please keep me. Maybe they fall in love, made a family. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Just to hark back to the reincarnation, actually, just to, it just made me think of that because I see a lot of people online saying like, reincarnation is ter terrifying i can't think of anything worse it's like hell everything like that and i'm like you're saying that based on a whole load of assumptions you're saying that based on probably not enjoying this current life that you're living you're saying that based on thinking it's all out of your control or based on the fact that it's going to be you know monotonous every time there's just so many unknowns like how do we know like maybe when we die in this life our higher self our ultimate consciousness is able to make a decision about what is the best for us. Maybe it is a tough life on earth. And, and I hate, in a way, I don't like the idea that some people would choose to have a tough life, but because it kind of feels like not very you know, nice to the person that's having a tough life. But at the same time, how do we know? How do we know that you, know, you wouldn't finish your life and be like, ah, that was, you know, that was too easy. I need to do something that's going to build my soul in this other department or whatever, build my character, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Anyway, that was a quick... <laughs> distraction there to just reminded me to me the horrible thought would be being wiped out and never getting to experience again oh yeah yeah i mean i guess you wouldn't mind but because you wouldn't know but to me that seems like the worst and i would think if you know i i think reincarnation is the most likely explanation because i believe people like dr tucker dr stevenson jim matlock i mean their research is so solid but i would think if you have some terrible lives you have some wonderful lives and some lives that are complex i mean some lives are just as bad as you can get and some are just almost a dream life and that you probably end up having a balance of a combination and most of us who have something in the middle with some hardships and some joys and and maybe it's yeah like i say kind of fits what you need in that in that moment you know in that in that period of time and i would guess we probably live material lives on other planets as well i find that a really fascinating thought like yeah about that how does that work you know, with the reincarnation and stuff. Yeah. Like are there people that used to live on other planets coming here, being reincarnated as humans? Or do we get reincarnated in other places? Is it, like we said earlier, if it's tied to the planet, it would make sense that it's just our planet that, you know, gets recycled, reincarnated. And, but then if it's, if this is a truly, if this is just one reality for all of the universes or, you know, for everything, whatever is out there, then 
yeah, the possibilities are endless. But then I don't know that way. Then I feel like, ah, then there's maybe too many people that remember a previous life on earth for that to be realistic. So yeah, but it doesn't rule it out. It just, oh, yeah, I love speculating about this stuff. So it's <laughs> so crazy to think about. You could have multiple lives on earth. And I mean, if you think of infinity and you think of multiple galaxies and solar systems, just because you had multiple lives on earth doesn't mean you won't haven't or won't in the future yeah. have multiple lives. And then when you get into time, probably before life evolved on this earth or I wouldn't be shocked if there was before the dinosaurs, other civilizations on this planet that got wiped out. I mean, when you start thinking about massive time, beyond time, biologists can study, why couldn't there have been other species that evolved millions of years ago here? And to go even one more mind boggling step forward from there, it's like, who knows, we could have multiple lives at once. <laughs> on some level, I could be experiencing another life right now. I mean, Again, I'm not saying I think that's likely. I'm just saying we don't know. I can't rule that out, right? That's, that's, that's still within the realms of possibility, especially when we, we learn that time doesn't work how we think it works and people can access stuff that hasn't happened yet and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Mediums say that. And I don't know. I don't think that's the most out there thing the further I go with this. If our core consciousness is encased in some quantum mechanism we can't understand that's non-physical and a part of it quantum entangles with my brain and this physical body as Liz and your brain and physical body as Ben and if parts of it could be quantum entangling with other physical bodies I have a really hard time of adding to that in the future in the past but it could be quantum entangling with other bodies here and getting the experience other bodies on possibly other planets and yeah. when you die that experience absorbs back into your non-physical conscious being and you because the if the non-physical conscious being is growing mm. and learning and evolving this could be a piece of it this life just like another day is for us in this life i don't think it's as out there the further i go with this if that makes sense yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, after after going in quite deep, yeah, because again, I'm sure when we both start getting into this, that would have seemed insane. Oh, beyond. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the, everything I've said this podcast before, I would have thought all of this except life on other planets. Yeah. I mean, I always thought they're the vastness of the solar system and yeah. galaxies. It, it seemed as unrealistic as maybe 500 years ago to say this town or country you know before planes and easy travel to say this is the only place on the whole planet that has life beside that everything else i would have been like oh my god this is crazy no way let's go back to just afterlife and evidence is there a, a guess and or a bit of evidence that you are just like oh my god this is the most mind-blowing amazing thing i've ever heard mm. yeah there's, there's i guess there's a few yeah guests it's hard because I've, I've spoken to so many amazing people. I guess some of the most meaningful to me have been Leslie, first of all, just because of surviving death being the first thing to, literally, if it wasn't for Leslie, I might still be, you know, working at a nine to six and, and still thinking that the most important thing in the world is money or whatever. And, you know, I, I might not, never have kind of had that, that change of perspective, that new paradigm come into my life. So Leslie was hugely important for me. Dean, for similar reasons after that there's just yeah there's so many like jim tucker was was somebody that i again i like you have read his books and 
that was really profound for me. But yeah, I could kind of make a case for each each one of my guests almost. So in terms of the evidence that really blew my mind, right? I guess there's two sides to that. So first there's the kind of side of things that's blew my mind in the sense that in the bad way, too mind blog, too mind boggling, like really pushes my limit, not necessarily in a bad way, but just so hard for me to grasp. And I'm not saying they're not real, like spoon bending is kind of in this area, physical mediumships in this area. Levitation is like the wildest thing I've come across that's like just, again, I don't disbelieve it. I don't necessarily believe it with 100% conviction, but I probably do. With everything I've learned, I more on the side that it could be real. That's a wild phenomenon that, again, is like, what the hell is that? In terms of the really mind-blowing evidence in the good way, though, there's probably two that I'll pick out. Jim Tucker's work on the Ryan Hammonds case. So I know everybody. I know everybody picks that. It's one of the most well-known reincarnation cases, but 55 verified memories that he had, you know, that they had written down. Feel free to jump in if I miss anything or if I'm not telling it right, because I, I haven't done a big recap on his case. But so yeah, Ryan, I can't remember the exact age when he started having these memories, but he, was it first that they were watching the film and he pointed out maybe that's kind of one of the first ways it came out? He's just this young child that he saw, that's me basically in a film, that's me. And his parents are like, what? And, and anyway, Ryan is the Hollywood. He, he was Mr. Hollywood. Oh, that's Marty Martinson. Yeah. Ryan Hammonds is his current who he is. Okay. Oh, okay. I always called him Marty Martin. Okay. okay I got you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then yes, he, he, yeah. Okay. Now we're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Marty, yeah, Marty Martin, I was going to get to Marty Martin, but yeah, spoiler alert. Right. Right. So Ryan Hammonds is, yeah, the, I, I was a child. He's now, I guess, an adult, but anyway, yeah, he, it was just one of the most compelling cases because of how many individual statements he made about the previous personality. And he made these statements before they even got close to identifying a previous personality. His mother, I think Andrea, was in touch with Jim Tucker and, and emailing this stuff to Jim, again, before they verified a personality, significantly before they had verified a personality. I think even at one point they thought they had a personality and, and they kind of got a film crew together and went out to the location and, and, and Ryan was like, nah, that's not it. Like, this is, this is not familiar. And so that for me gave a lot of credibility because I was like, wow, if they were faking it, surely they would have just jumped on this because what are the odds they're going to, you know, if the mum or the dad is pulling the strings, what are the odds they're really going to be like, come on, play like it's not the real place. They're going to find, we're going to, you know, we're going to find some, and it just seems, so again, that, that whole part of the kind of the, the, we think we found them. No, we haven't. But 55 facts, everything from, I had a daughter, I had a green car, but then I didn't let anybody drive the green car. I had a, a big house, I had a swimming pool. I worked at an agency. I was just looking at them before. Some of them are so interesting. Uh, let me see if I've still got them on my phone real quick. So everyone know he turned out to find out he was a big Hollywood agent. He was matched with a big Hollywood agent who also had small extra parts yeah. in a movie. And he saw an old photo. Again, this is an extra in the movie was a successful agent, not like a famous person. And he, the child pointed to these old photos in old Hollywood book was like, that's me, that's me. So I've got these, I just kind of took screenshots from Surviving Death back when I read it. So the first one, as we say, so he was the man in the photograph from the movie Night After Night. So that was him pointing at the photo. And then from there, so he lived in Hollywood. So yeah, kind of semi-generic, you know, some of them, he lived somewhere with the word rock or mount in the, in it, like in the street name. 
that's pretty that's pretty niche he was very rich okay his house was big yeah there was a brick wall at the house some of these are generic but then yeah there were three boys he didn't think the boys were his but he gave them his name anyway he had a daughter he brought coloring books home he had trouble with his older stepdaughter she wouldn't listen she didn't respect him his mother had curly brown hair he had a large swimming pool he had a younger sister he he brought his daughter a dog when she was about six and then i love this but she didn't really like the dog he hated cats he knew a specific senator. He used to see this senator in a certain place, which he found on a map. He had a green car. And again, a nice touch. He didn't let anybody drive the green car. He had too many. He had too many. I was going to say too many. He had many wives. His wife drove a nice black car. He was an agent, as you said. The agency changed people's names, you know, stage names. And these keep going. I'm only at like number 23. So that's less than half. Are there any like some really interesting ones here? So he knew yeah, some specific people. Bread was his favorite food. That doesn't seem like a very common favorite food. What a child would say, because Ryan Hammond was under five years old. I think he was like three when he started saying these. Yeah, stuff like that. He also said, I'm not five. I'm closer to 105 from when I was here before. And he would have been 106 when he said that. So that's like pretty quick maths for, for a kid to, to do. He died at age 61. And I think when they originally started going through those records, they were like, ah, oh, well, you didn't get that one right because he died at like 59 or something. And then I think Jim went another step further and found a different records from other places. And it was like, oh, no, he did actually die at 61. The other record was incorrect. But it's the whole combination of these things, like 55, all of those things he said before they verified this person. And all of them, they spoke to the, the daughter of Marty Martin and all of them are verified. And it's just a wild case like i'd love to talk to anybody that thinks that case along with all the other cases but that case particularly is like easily dismissible like how do you even go about throwing that out there i, I don't know and didn't he meet his daughter and he was kind of shaken up because he's like she's old now because mm -hmm. he died when she was still very young and that was disturbing for him because i guess she was elderly and a parent rare, doesn't often see their children elderly they they actually showed in surviving death like a scene of him meeting the the daughter of yeah marty martin and and i think they met when he was younger as well or something like that and it was a bit better but this time it was kind of awkward and he they're like you know oh do you remember this or something and he's like no, not not really no and I, me when i watched it for the first time i was like oh this is not a good look I was really convinced, uh, getting I was becoming very convinced. And now this, I don't know. But of course, now when I look at it, like that's totally normal. Like his memories of that, uh, he's losing them by the time he's six years old or six or seven or whatever. Normally, you, you know, you, you're changing a lot at that age. That's when they say most of the children start to forget. Yeah. They say the memories stop around age six. Yeah. I mean, there's exceptions like the um, James Leininger, but that's partially, I think, because it kept being talked about mm. so he you know who knows if it shifted to a different part of his brain there's always exceptions that's why we can never we can never get anywhere here because there's always stuff that throws a spanner in the works but yeah i mean that that for me is one of them i've got another thing that really i found compelling if you want me to kind of talk about that quickly as well i'd love it yes it's about the mediumship side of stuff so this was in a physical mediumship seance i think 120 years ago ish something like that about 1905 or again around there maybe a bit before 1890 something in iceland a medium called indridi indridsen i'm sure you've heard of this guy 
so they were doing a seance. I can't remember all the people were there, who was there, but it was some, some high end, you know, some, some very credible people like mayors and scientists and whatnot, probably. And anyway, it was a drop-in communicator that the thing that I find so compelling. So I don't, you probably know what that is, but for anybody that doesn't, it's essentially somebody communicating through the medium who has no links or ties to the medium or to anybody sitting in the room. So it's just like a random person, a random personality, literally dropping in and being like, Hey, what's up? So in this particular seance, this person drops in and, they, and he's saying in Danish and, in, and they're in Iceland. And I don't think the medium speaks Danish and, and things like that. It's a whole other story. It's a long story. But just to kind of keep it summary. Yeah. So he says, I'm Mr. Jensen. I'm, I'm a manufacturer by trade, you know, things like this. And then he disappears. An hour later, he comes back and he says, oh, I was just in Copenhagen um, where there's a massive fire. Uh, at one of the factories on this big street. So they all make a note of this, the people at the seance, because they're not just doing that seance for fun as well. Like they're trying to investigate this stuff and find out if it's real, like we are. So they write down all the notes and like, you know, the times and what was said and everything like that. And of course, being 120 years ago, there's no Twitter, there's no Reddit, there's no text. So they had to wait about a month to find out if this stuff, if this fire was real. So a month goes by, the newspaper arrives on a boat and they're obviously probably super excited, like quick fight. Like, did, was there a fire? They're like, flick. Yeah, okay. There was a fire on this road, that store, Corning. I can't remember the name of the road. It's a massive street, basically, in, in Copenhagen and Denmark, full of factories and industry and stuff like that. And so, yeah, the fire was when he said it was almost to the minute. The timings that he had said all added up with how long a fire would take to get started compared to when the actual fire brigade were informed of the fire, when they said the fire was put out, everything like that. So anyway, a guy called Erlander Haraldsson was an Icelandic researcher and, and psychologist and everything in these areas, really interested in, in mediumship. He, much more recently now, he got access to, I think through somebody's will or something like that, notes and stuff that were made, again, in seances with Indridi Indridsson. And he went through these and found that Emil Jensen was a character, a personality that came back frequently. And so he was able to ascertain, he's able to get more information about this guy. So he's like, oh, he found somewhere where they were asking him questions. So Emil confirmed what his job was, if he had, you know, children, what his situation was with his brothers and sisters and a few other bits and bobs like that. Not 55, like Ryan Hammond's, unfortunately, but still enough to be quite interesting. So anyway, Erlander's like, wow, there's this information now and I don't think anybody's double-checked this, so I'm going to take it to, you know, the, wherever he went and he, the National Library or the National Archives. And, and he finds out there was an Emil Jensen that, that had all of these things ticked off. Like, okay, yeah, so brothers and sisters were still alive when, when he died and at the time of that seance, yes. Didn't have any kids, yes. I think he was 50 when he died and I think he claimed he didn't die young or something like that. So it's kind of, you know, that's not very compelling that one specifically, but over the course of these things, it's like, yeah, correct, 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 correct. And then interestingly, he'd lived his whole life, I think pretty much his whole life on this exact street where the fire had taken place, like 300 meters away from where this fire had been. So then all of a sudden it kind of makes sense. It's like, oh, so he went and said he watched this fire during that thing. Why would he have gone to watch a fire? unless he had a serious personal interest in this area, in this street, in this building. And, and yeah, it just kind of, everything just came together in that case that I was like, wow, like the, the being drop in. So not knowing anybody in the circle, the fact of this fire that was then 
confirmed a month later. The fact that then more information was found in records, again, like decades later by a researcher who then was able to verify all of it. And then we had the little cherry on the cake of like, oh, Annie lived, the stone's throw literally from the house, the, the, the factory that was caught on fire. So again, it's just one of hundreds of amazing cases, but it was one that stood out to me when I read Leslie's book, Surviving Death. I love that case too. And it shows he wasn't, the medium wasn't reading the people psychically. So that's another evidence in favor of survival. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Drop in communicators. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. I didn't think to mention that earlier, but yeah, you're right. This has been such a good conversation. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like me to? Anything you want to add that we didn't touch upon? I mean, off the top of my head, not really. No, I guess just on the UFO stuff, if people are interested or if you're interested and I can point you in, in the right direction, but yeah, Leslie Kane's book, UFOs in plain sight by Ross Coulthard, have cases to have a look at, have a look at the Nimitz case, explain that one. I'd love to hear anybody explain that one. That's like that one. We have multiple pilots that have seen something. We have multiple sensors. We have radar, essentially everything, everything that's like the most, most well-recorded, most well-documented UFO incident ever. And then you've got these incredible school cases like Aerial School and Westall School where tens and tens, or in the case of Westall, hundreds of pupils saw this stuff happening and they, they you know, the teachers saw it, locals in the town saw it. There's just so much. There's James Fox's documentary, The Phenomenon. I can't recommend that enough. That's on YouTube. You should definitely watch that, Liz, if you haven't seen that. The Phenomenon, James Fox. And yeah, on YouTube for free, you can find that now. He did another documentary much more recently called Moment of Contact, which is about an incident that took place in Virginia, in Brazil, where there was an alleged UFO crash and allegedly some beings walking around the, the town, which is a wild case and a fascinating documentary, which I, I can't recommend enough. But yeah, the phenomenon is the perfect introduction for anybody that wants to learn, like just, you know, get into this topic in about two hours. It's very accessible, just easy to watch. They're both James Fox. He's, he's probably the most prolific UFO documentarian, filmmaker. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, JET, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son, Oliver Justice, and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. JET seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. JET will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash JET for a complete list of programs and activities. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Danny asks, so you say you still aren't 100% sure there is an afterlife. Is there anything that would make you 100% convinced? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I have thought about this before. And I, 
I don't think there's anything that would 100% convince me. If my dad appeared before me and told me that he survived, I was right, and told me things I did not know that I then went and verified with my mom, that probably would be the closest to what would convince me. But how could I know that I didn't, in a desperation, hallucinate that, somehow had unconsciously remembered my mom had told me this stuff or he had told me this stuff years ago or I overheard them talking and didn't remember it. So my mind fabricated this because I want there to be an afterlife. Um, also, how would I know that I'm not reading my mom's mind, which if I was, that's still pretty amazing and kind of goes against the laws of science as we understand them to be. So it would definitely add to the evidence, but that's probably the closest thing to 100% I could think of that still would not 100% convince me. The other would be if I had a near-death experience. I keep hearing that people come back from them and say they have no doubt afterwards. 99% of people say they have no doubt afterwards this was real, it was realer than real, and there is an afterlife. So I can only assume I'm probably not the exception. I probably would be in the majority that would then end up 100% convinced. But if I could guess if my mind still works the way it does, even with that, I could say, well, how do I not know this was just a grand hallucination? And then I guess I kind of try to live my life not 100% convinced about anything, like right now, the thing that I can most factually say is I am alive and conscious and here now. But again, this gets into philosophy. And I like to keep my mind really flexible that I just how can we 100% know anything? So how do I know, you know, we're not all in a video game simulation that I know some Silicon Valley scientists think? Or how do I know that the whole world wasn't just created yesterday and all these memories were implanted in my brain? Or how do I know that I'm not in some matrix hallucination and none of the people around me are real and this is all some hallucination? I mean, I think I want to stay the person who is never 100% convinced about anything, but I think as of now, I have drawn a logical conclusion that it is most likely that there is an afterlife. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Thank you so much for such a good conversation. Thank you, Liz. Everyone listening, Ben's podcast is one of my favorites. He interviews so many of the people that just absolutely transformed my mind about afterlife and now starting to learn about UFOs. So I highly recommend it. Tell all our listeners where they can find you and follow you. And I'll, of course, include this in the show notes. Cool. Well, yeah, firstly... Thank you as well so much for inviting me on here. As I said to you, I really, really appreciate you, you doing that and giving me this platform to, to talk to people. 
I'm honored. Where can people find me? Yeah, so we're on Anchor. Anchor, that's what it used to be called, isn't it? That was like my distributor. So so we're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on, you know, a a bunch of others. I don't know every single one, but the main one, Spotify, Apple, and let's say most podcast apps. Also on YouTube as videos. So we put full length video interviews up there and able to put much more links and things into those. And we kind of try and put stuff on screen and things like that during the interviews. So this is probably where you're going to get the most information, but yeah, YouTube and, and Spotify and Apple on YouTube, it's youtube.com forward slash unraveling the universe with two L's, the British spelling, I think it is. And, and Spotify. Yeah. I'll send you the link. And I'll link to all these in the show notes and just search any of your podcast apps. Yeah. Unraveling with two L's the universe. I found it easily on all of them. Thank you so much, Liz. All the best. Take care. Be- wish you the best of luck with this and with your book. get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened, A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore, or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, You don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened.